It's a damn tough life full of toil and strife we weathermen undergo. And we don't give a damn when the gale is done, how hard the winds did blow. Cause we're homeward bound from the Arctic ground with a good ship taut and free. And we won't give a damn when we drink our rum with the girls of old Maui. Rolling down to old Maui, me boys, rolling down to old Maui. We're homeward bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to old Maui. So, uh, we've reached a very exciting chapter in Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements. It might even be the most literal of the chapters in terms of higgledy-piggledy whale statements, because <laughs> that's exactly what we're dealing with today. You're, you're so right. Uh, so this episode is entirely devoted to chapter 32, which is titled Cytology, um, because it's a, it's a pretty lengthy chapter, so we wanted to give it its own episode. Um, and it's also a pretty, like, notable chapter. Um, because it's, uh, well, okay, I I think it's, I actually wouldn't say that it's the first non-narrative chapter in the novel, because, for example, we also had, like, a sermon, um, It's definitely the most aggressively non-narrative chapter we've run into so far. Yes, that's definitely true, because the the sermon sermon did occur in the narrative, yeah? Yeah, the sermon was much more, like, diegetic, I guess. I hope I'm using that word right. I think that's, uh, I think that's right. Anyway, um, and uh, also, you know, it had... Also, like, a sermon itself is, is somewhat more narrative than the stuff that this chapter is concerned with, right? Like, it had... It involved telling the story of Jonah, um, which, as Wikipedia told us, is a narrative. So. <laughs> it, it has characters and themes. Was, was that it? I think that was... I believe it was, like, characters setting... Plots, yeah, themes, you know, <laughs> that all... sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, but um, no, this this arguably has characters. Definitely doesn't have setting. It has a lot of theme, but it has no plot whatsoever. Okay, so the 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 trifecta of these that has become popular among some of my friends is uh, characters, facts, and themes. This is all facts and themes, no characters. I. Yes, it. Mm, I would argue that, like the dramatis personae at the beginning of a play, it does describe characters, but it does not have characterization. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Also, so, for that incredibly <laughs> smug sentence, I should be just <laughs> sentenced to the depths of the sea. Yeah, we'll gulag you later, don't worry about it. Um, I, so, I was uh, just thinking I'd be eaten by a large fish, such as a whale. <laughs> you know, that's fair, that's fair. Um, so, uh, what we're talking about, um, if, if you happen to know what the word cytology means, you might have already kind of guessed it, but, um, it, I don't think it's that well known a word. It means, uh, the study of whales. Um, and I just want to point out, because it's just eating at me, every time I hear the word cytology, I really want to fit it into, like, the, the tune from The Lion King's Hakuna Matata, where they sing about their philosophy, uh, and, like... They have that that particular rhythm, da 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 da. Um, yeah, no, I. I <laughs> that's so cute. And so um, I keep wanting to go. It's our cytology or something like that. And 
barely worse. In fact, I didn't restrain myself. I just found an elaborate meta way to frame making those noises so I could lay my brain to rest. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've exercised that particular extremely cute little demon. Um, I got more. <laughs> uh, so, right. So, so this chapter uh, is entirely concerned with the scientific study of whales uh, and I guess other cetaceans as we like currently use the term. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, and... he's, he's arguing for the category cetacea to be constructed in a particular fashion. Exactly, yes. Um, uh, which, uh, gosh, should we, like, describe briefly what these are? I mean, I think most people know they're, like, whales and dolphins and, like, not at all. Orcas? I, I think yeah, orcas, orcas are, are also cetaceans, nowadays. yeah. Um, uh, they're, they're definitely cetaceans, I just don't know if they're... I know they're called the killer whale, but they might be in a different cetacean subgroup, which thankfully Ishmael says he's not attempting to divine the true method of dividing the cetacean to groups and families. So, um, yeah, he's off the hook for that one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for absolute certain whether like, I don't know whether like whale is a, a scientific term today. Right. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. Or, this is definitely not my area of expertise. Because, like, you know, uh, I certainly have the sense that a dolphin is not a whale, even though it is a cetacean. Mm, um, but yeah. is that just because whale is, like, a term of common use? Um, or, like, I don't really know. Uh, I didn't happen to look this one up. Um, yeah, I I sort of deliberately did not attempt to learn the actual science of cetology before going into this. Yeah, so so that's, uh, that's the thing. Um, this chapter... All of the, you know, like, whale information in this chapter is kind of... The whale statement, you might say. Is all kind of, like, doubly removed from what we currently understand to be, you know, scientific fact about whales. Because, first of all, it's based on, you know, a scientific understanding from, like, about 1850. Um, So, you know, very different from our current understanding, like... They, a lot has been learned by science about whales since then, and about science. That, that's also true. I, but I'll, I'll I'll bite my my tongue about history of science stuff. But, no, it's it's a wild time. I mean, history of science is like incredibly relevant to this chapter, so don't bite your tongue too much. Um, but uh, yeah, but so there's that remove right that like we know things today that Melville could not have known. Um, but then also uh, this chapter is not just being written by melville it's it's in character as ishmael and like it's very in character as ishmael. it is and and uh we we actually ran into a or rather I, I ran into you you declined um yeah i heard about it and then said you know what i enjoy reading terrible things on the internet as much as the next irony poison millennial but I'll give this one a miss. So what I for my own sanity. What I found, I was trying to determine, um, like, wh- so, relating to some of the facts in this chapter. Um, I was tra- I was trying to determine, like, would Melville have known that some of these things were like flatly incorrect? Um, which you know, on some of them, it's like. Yes, we do think Melville knew better than this, and he kind of put in, words in, in like two of them. He didn't just know better. Ishmael knew better and intentionally did the wrong thing to bug us. Yes, I will make that argument. So, um, 
But I did encounter, in trying to like do some Googling about this, uh, an atheist blog post from 2012 um, critiquing the science of this chapter based entirely... Oh, my people. Based entirely on the assumption that it's completely sincere uh, and that Melville believed every word he wrote here. Um, and, and sort of, you know, earnestly uh, trying to s- explain how, like, the reasoning doesn't hold up. <laughs> trying to set the record straight that Moby Dick is not, in fact, a book of scientific whale knowledge of the modern era. Yeah, it's just so... I mean, like, I think I honestly find it rather precious. <laughs> yeah, it's... Let's not get into the various things going on in the atheist community of that era, but I'll... I'll... I'm sure scientism, the the particular devotion to science that often appears online, which has more to do with the uh, the epistemological claims of science and sort of the primacy of it than the actual process of mm-hmm. it, I'm sure that will reappear in our discussion of this chapter. But suffice it to say, it was a major undergirding quality of certain online communities that I myself was like, you know, I was engaged with and uh, in a minor way and ultimately those communities imploded for very reasonable political reasons uh, on the one hand and just being absolutely awful on the other hand and so it split and everything fell apart and that that movement no longer really exists yeah yeah um yeah whales (laughs) right so yeah let me get into the actual summary um of the chapter uh so uh like I said, the chapter entirely concerned with cytology. Um, Ishmael uh, takes on the weighty task of providing a classification and description of all w- whales, uh, according to you know the best information he has and his own experience. Um, and he starts out uh, to kind of like make it clear w- what he's like attempting here. Um, he he quotes several contemporary authorities really dire statements on how difficult this field of study is. Um, can we read some of them? They're really fun. Yeah, please do. I, I, I think, um, can we, I think the, the most entertaining ones are the last paragraph of them, uh, in which is like four of them in, in quick succession. So let's alternate. Yeah. Okay, sure. Well, I'd like to start slightly earlier with, um, utter confusion exists among the historians of this animal says Surgeon Beale, A.D. 1839. Oh, I was slightly wrong. I said that uh, um, Ishmael wasn't intending to uh, inquire into the true method of dividing them. No, that's that's Beale being quoted here. Ishmael absolutely does. I am totally incorrect. Yeah. I was totally incorrect about that, but yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, he does... Uh, he does totally despair at the possibility of coming up with, like, like a... a, a what I would consider to be a meaningful classification system. Oh, yes, his his whole thing about how Lin, Linnaean classification fails at whales. <laughs> right, so... Oh, I want to get yeah, into Yeah, let's not get so... so yeah, that's, that's yeah. later in the chapter. But but yeah, so so that's that's one of the... <laughs> is there a narrative to this podcast? Not in this episode, there <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so that's like, yeah, that's one of the quotes. Um, and then the, the, the sequence of them, which I liked, which like to me almost come across like... Um, like, as if you were trying to... Like, you know how they have uh, reviewers' quotes on movie posters? Yes, e- except yes, it, but on whales. On whales and their criticisms. Yes. Uh, unfitness to pursue our research in the unfathomable waters. 
Impenet- impenetrable. I'm oh, sorry. Were we alternating? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Impenetrable veil covering our knowledge of the cetacea. A field strewn with thorns. All these incomplete indications but serve to torture us naturalists. Uh, and, and he does it. Weirdly, he cites this, but um, there are four quotes and he cites three people. I don't know how they divide <laughs> up. I'm sure one must be a double. Doubtless, yes, but I don't know which. Um, That's Ishmael. Anyway, but uh, you can go look up uh, the names of the writers that Ishmael cites um, if you want. I, I don't really think I need to like give annotations for all of that on this podcast. Um, uh, but the point being... He's, he's going through what a lot of prominent cytologists have said, which is basically that, like, it can't, Fucked if we know. It can't be done. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he also, um, he lists out just this long list of luminaries who have ridden on the whale, starting yep. with the authors of the Bible. And it's 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 great. It's sort of in rough uh, chronological order, um, as yeah. uh, I could tell in my, uh, in my copy on powermobydick.com. Uh, because, like, the little citation that it has for each of those names telling you who that is, uh, the dates next to the name... Progressively get larger. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I made that guess uh, based on the fact that the first three are the authors of the Bible, Aristotle Pliny. Yes. Pliny? Pliny? Pliny. Pliny. Um, I do also see one of my uh, favorite odd Elizabethan authors, Sir Thomas Brown, uh, on this list. Um and then I recognize a bunch of 19th century and late 18th century, like early scientists of uh, biology, such as Cuvier and Owen. But uh, I don't recognize a number of the others. Like there's a bunch of them that I just had no idea who they were. I think some of them are religious writers. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, I mean, for example, the authors of the Bible. Um... Well, yes. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, also... Um... Right, there's two things that I think are kind of interesting about that, like, list of whale authors. Um, Mm -hmm. One of which is uh, the last couple, um, at least according to PowerMobyDick.com, and I did kind of, like, look this up in other places as well. Um, Mm -hmm. The last couple of names, Olmsted, the Reverend T. Cheever, uh, these are authors of works that Melville is known to have used as reference or, like, sources mm. for this book. Yeah. Um, so that means that uh, we can date the time... We can say that Ishmael is, like, fictionally writing this narrative in at basically the same time that Melville actually wrote it, because... Oh, that's that's an interesting point, yeah. Um, yeah, I went and looked up when, uh, like, these books that were described as being, like, Melville sources had been published, and I think one of them was published, like... I remember seeing at least one saying 1844. I think there might have been some after that. And the book was written, I think, in 1850 to 1851. So, like, that's pretty much right at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> at least in terms of, you know, literary history. Six years is not a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, it it does remind me, um, since I think this came up before in this podcast, but just uh, to remind everyone... Um, that Melville was uh, greatly inspired by the story of the whale ship Essex, which was stove by a uh, sperm whale and sank, and then the captain and the various crew 
took a very long time getting home, including having to resort to cannibalism to survive. Um, so it was a it was a grim tale. I think there's now two movies or like based on the actual narrative of the Essex uh, in the last like ten or twenty years or something. For some reason, it had like a little resurgence in the Heart of the Sea, for example, and the Whale. I think. Anyways, the the important part is that um, the captain who underwent this lived on Nantucket and was personally known by Melville, which I only discovered while looking into some stuff for this particular episode. Um, because, and specifically, and this is what I find really interesting, uh, this Captain Pollard, um, who was no longer a captain, he had one other ship after he got back from the huge debacle. That ship soon ran aground off Hawaii, and when he eventually made it back to Nantucket, no one would even hire him as a sailor because he was a Jonah. He was an unlucky person to have on a ship. Um, and then he was, I think, a night watchman on Nantucket for the rest of his life. Um, and Herman Melville is quoted by the Nantucket Historical Association, I'm just reading off Wikipedia here, as having said of Pollard, To the islanders he was a nobody. To me, the most impressive man, the wholly unassuming, even humble, that I ever encountered. So he's clearly, like, in a major way a part of this story. Uh, but he's not... I do know, I believe he wrote a narrative about his uh, trip, but he's not cited in this list of uh, writers at all for very obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that they knew each other personally either. That is really interesting. Um, and, and it's... Or at the very least, he, you know, he says that I ever encountered. He definitely, um, he definitely met him and he was, I think, I think they like personally spoke um, a few times. Right, yeah. Maybe maybe they were friends, but uh, I didn't look into it that yeah. deeply. Um, no, that's fine. I, I just really, all I really meant was like, yeah, encountered each other. Um, I think in a lot of ways, um, uh, there's just, there's a lot of like, uh, I don't know, there's, it, it, it can be really fun to trace the connections between Melville's life and this book. Um, yeah, and absolutely, of, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff to dig into there if you find that kind of thing interesting, which I sure do. Um, yep, yep. but, uh, uh, so, so that's the, the list of whale authors, um, the sources for Ishmael and the sources yeah. for Melville. And, uh, he, he mentions, uh, that only that, that, um, it's only after a certain point that any of these authors had, you know, any direct experience of living whales. Um, uh, presumably that being, you know, the point at which like whaling began as an industry more or less. Um, and that only one of them was actually a like actually a whaler, uh, whose name is Scoresby, um, and uh, there's kind of this like cute bit where he he's like he's admitting that Scoresby is like definitely an excellent authority on right whales, uh, but he thinks the sperm whale is much more important, and Scoresby didn't know anything about that. Ah, uh, yeah. He also has a, a truly lovely use of the phrase um, Leviathanic illusions to refer to the use of whales in, like, poetry or literature. Yeah, yeah. Um. Just, just when he's talking about uh, the Greenland whale or right whale, which is um, held up as, like, the, uh, the mightiest and most interesting of whales, while um, it is very much of... Uh, um, Ishmael's opinion that no, it's the sperm whale. The sperm whale's the important one. You guys are idiots. It's the sperm whale. He's very clear on this point. 
Okay, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. The Skype call disconnected for some reason. Um, but uh, it can't keep us from continuing to discuss cytology. Um, so we were talking about uh, Ishmael's sort of like championing of the sperm whale yes. over uh, the, um, the right whale uh, or the Greenland whale. Um, and uh, the, the reason that there is this rivalry is because um, the sperm whale was not, like, commonly hunted by whalers um, and, like, not sort of well known or understood, I guess, until roughly the 1780s. Um, it's obviously something that, you know, is hard to date precisely because it's a question of, like, when did the standards in this industry change over to hunting sperm whales instead of right whales. And that's obviously a gradual process. Um, uh, but, it, but it seems like, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty like done deal by the time that Ishmael's going to see that like sperm whales are what you want to hunt. They're, they're much more valuable. Um, but, uh, the name of the right whale comes from the time period when it was considered to be the right whale to hunt. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's called that. Cool. Um, uh, and uh, Ishmael, like, he, 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 he declares that the Greenland whale is deposed. The great sperm whale now reigneth. Uh, so he's, he's really throwing, his, uh, th throwing down his um, support fully in behind the sperm whale. You, you might say that he's uh, nailing his colors to the mast. Yes, totally. Um, you might say he, he's blowing the sperm whale's uh, horn, or perhaps a spout. <laughs> Jesus. All right, I need to prevent you from continuing in this vein. Um, so he, he notes that there are only two books that exist uh, on, like, based on the experience of, you know, actually encountering living sperm whales. Um, and he considers them both to be, you know, pretty good scientific treatments, but they're very incomplete. Uh, and he specifically notes that, like, there is no sort of, like, literary treatment of sperm whales. Um, Except... <laughs> right. Yeah, very clearly you're meant to think, like, oh, but perhaps this is a literary treatment of sperm whales. <laughs> um, there's a, another sentence I want to quote. Far above all other hunted whales, his is an unwritten life. Um yeah, I really like that sentence as well. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a it's an interesting. I mean, we've talked before about the idea that like um, things that are unspoken or like unspeakable being kind of the like a major focus of this book and and yeah, I I actually intended to bring that up in this very moment. So hey, think. Yeah, no, it's I I definitely think that the um. This chapter is in many ways about the failure of cytology, or like the, the difficulty of it, and the degree to which it can't actually provide like scientific knowledge. And we'll see this in his discussion of the various whales and how he talks about categorizing whales. To some extent, he's intentionally presenting a bad system or like a, a, a failure of a system because... Um, 
no human thing is complete, he says in a moment, and, you know, it's an unwritten life. This is something that can't be encompassed, even though it can be gestured at, or we can attempt to understand it or categorize it. Yeah. They're just too um. big. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and I think it's probably worth highlighting that uh, un- unwritten does have this meaning that we're talking about of sort of, like, incomprehensible like you couldn't possibly write the whole thing but also like the literal meaning is simply that like no one has gotten around to it yet it's like a it's an open field in many senses um so so i think there's kind of a an interesting tension almost of like like is the project that i've set out to do with this chapter and more broadly with this novel even possible um like no one's really tried it before uh Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, he's very um, he's very flippant about that in some ways, and very serious about it in others. In fact, immediately after that, he he says that um, I shall not pretend to a minute anatomical description of the various species, or in this place at least, to much of any description. My object here is simply to pr- project the draft of a systematization of cytology. I am the architect, not the builder. Um, but then he sort of goes on to say, uh, and you know who. I, it would require a very special kind of man, perhaps even, I would say, like a prophet to successfully finish this work. Um, he, specifically, I would really like to quote this line, uh, to grope down into the bottom of the sea after them, to have one's hands among the unspeakable foundations, ribs, and very pelvis of the world. This is a fearful thing. What am I that I should essay to hook the nose of this leviathan? That's yeah, a lot. That's what we're fucking here for, baby. Really are, yeah. And specifically, I mean, it's it's literally uh, referencing, and then he immediately winks at it by, or not winks at it, but just like states that he is referencing Job. And in the book of Job, it is specifically the boast of God Himself uh, that only He ha- can hook Leviathan by the nose and draw him out like a fish. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of funny, um, it does, uh, on the one hand, it's very, like, dramatic, and it really speaks to, like, Ishmael's, in some ways, like, incredibly inflated sense of his own capabilities, right? That he's, mm-hmm. he, he is trying to do something that he knows is, like, almost beyond human. Um, uh, but it also comes across a little bit as, like, uh, okay, you can't get mad at me about anything that's in here. Yeah, yeah, I think that the um, the important part of this is this is almost a negative sketch of cytology in that he's more concerned with knocking down other people's frameworks for cytology than making a robust version of his own. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, but yes, um, um he... But, but it... Yeah, sorry? I, I just think it's, it's really funny to, like, start at start out by saying, okay, look, this is just a beginning of, like, a grand project that will go on beyond me. Um, like, I, what I'm doing cannot possibly be complete or flawless. I, I leave it to future generations. Um, and then, like, to just say some stuff that doesn't make any fucking sense and you know it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, will he, the Leviathan, make a covenant with thee? Behold, the hope of him is vain. Okay, so 
Oh, we, we can't read this entire chapter aloud. Yeah, I know. A lot. I, I feel you, though. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. Um, okay, so uh, so he, he he's kind of roughly surveyed what exists on his topic. Uh, and now he starts to lay out his own uh, taxonomy of whales. Um, which uh, is... Um, First I mean, of all, it's... whales are fish. Yeah. Okay. So, so the yeah the the first important point he tackles is the question of whether whales are fish or mammals. Um, well, he doesn't actually state the like the thing is he's not making the distinction between fish and mammals. He's just making the the question of are they fish? Okay, that's true. You're right. He, and he definitely does leave open the possibility of a a fish mammal. Well, um, or a, the, a mammal fish. The reason I think this is important is that it's it's part of the the weird history of science thing going on here. Ah, okay, fair we, enough. I can go on for my theory there, but I, I well, don't... Well, let, yeah. let, me, like, let me describe literally the, the sort of arguments that he's responding to and, and like, how he uh, answers them, and then let's, like, get into the background of it. Of course. Um, so he starts out by citing Linnaeus, who is, like, I think pretty much the, the father of... Taxonomy? Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Linnaean classification is, like the first, like, European scientific taxonomy that has this huge influence and framework and in many ways predicts the later evolutionary taxonomies that get uh, sort of built around it. Obviously, there's some things that are very different between what we now consider to be lines of descent and Linnaean classifications, but you basically had a map of the evolutionary tree in rough outline before you had a sense of variation and heritability. Yeah. One of those, like, fascinating things about how ideas evolve. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Linnaeus, is, uh, Linnaeus believes that whales are mammals, um, and, and his arguments for this are, like, you know, pretty much the same ones that I would make if someone was like, hey, Tilly, why would you say that whales are mammals? Um, which is that they have, like, anatomical features, which we recognize as belonging to mammals, um, most, like, obviously uh, warm blood and, and giving milk. Um, which, by the way, uh, the, in the actual passage from Linnaeus that is quoted here, um, he uses Latin in order to avoid, uh, like, being dirty and talking about whales having sex, um, or, or having breasts, I guess. Um, uh, like, like, it literally, uh, yeah, sentences yeah. half in English, and then it goes into Latin to say, like, and the quality that the whales have that makes the mammals is that they you know, uh, lactate. Like, yeah, they lactate and like have, um, like have sex and like, I guess, give live birth. It's implied, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So, but it's also like, it's one of those things where pretty much every word in the Latin sentence is a, is a word, you know, um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so those are those are Linnaeus's arguments, um, which are like reasonable. Know, yeah, you know, pretty solid. Like I'm sure that a someone who like knows more about you know modern taxonomy than I do could probably say some other maybe more precise things about what exactly the current scientific understanding of what a mammal is. But like this is basically what kids learn in school, right? Yeah, now, yeah. You know? 
And it's, it's also, you know, the classification mammal is founded on these precise anatomical features. The, the, the classification comes after these features. It's not like someone looked at a bunch of, like, cows and deers and stuff and said, these are mammals. Oh, and they have mammaries. I guess that, that lines up well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. Um, yeah. Uh, and w- which, like, on some level, that's actually the, the last argument that, that Linnaeus makes, which is, um, this part is also in Latin, although in this case, I think maybe just for effect rather than for um, obfuscation. Uh, he says, uh, uh, translating, um, because of natural law and, like, it's obviously correct, basically, um, is what is the gist. I, um, I totally believe you. I have no capacity for Latin, so you could tell me anything, and I would, at worst, sort of go, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Please okay, don't right. do that to me, though. I won't. I found the part in my copy where it actually, um, you know, uh, Word translates, translates it. Yeah. It's from the laws of nature, justly and deservedly. Um, so that's just like obviously they're mammal. Obviously, a mammal is an animal that has these features. Yep, yep. That's that's his his like sum up, sum up. Uh, but Ishmael and a couple of his buddies on Nantucket have some serious <laughs> issues with this. Presumably while drinking, based on the description of this interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, but by, by which I mean, uh, Ishmael says, like, okay, here's what Linnaeus said. Um, well, I told my friends about this, uh, and we all agreed that it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Specifically, uh, one of them profanely hinted they were humbug, by which we can easily assume... Uh, they all thought Linnaeus should fuck off. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, so Ishmael's hot take on this issue um, is that whales are warm-blooded fish with lungs. Um, yep, that's basically it. Like, he's, he says, um, I take the good old-fashioned ground that the whale is a fish and call upon holy Jonah to back me. Like, And, <sighs> and uh, he, his, his definition of a whale is a spouting fish with a horizontal tail. Um, which, uh, it, it, in, in particular, it, it becomes clear as he sort of, like, clears up edge cases that um, he thinks any... I think he thinks any aquatic animal is a fish. Yes, he's using um, fish to mean anything that lives entirely in the water, and that that's definitely becoming clear because a walrus isn't a fish because a walrus is amphibious. Right, uh, which that comes up because walruses do spout and have horizontal tails yes um and uh another important edge case is uh manatees and dugongs um which he mentions in a footnote uh he doesn't consider them to be whales uh in in like a formal sense because they don't have spouts um but it also becomes clear uh probably the more (laughs) important reason that he doesn't think they're whales is that he thinks they're a nosy contemptible set yeah, these pigfish are a noisy, contemptible set, mostly lurking in the mouths of rivers and feeding on wet hay. Like, he, he just doesn't think they're dignified enough to count as whales. These, these, these country cousins of whales have no place in his taxonomy. Yes, absolutely. Um, and incidentally, for what it's worth, um, modern science does agree manatees and dugongs are not cetaceans. Cool, um, good to know. Yeah, I, I actually definitely... Um, had assumed that they would have been like I, they're not they don't seem to be that closely related um i would have thought yeah. they'd be more similar 
Like, I, I, I didn't think of manatees and dugongs as being uh, whales, but I thought that all aquatic mammals were, like... Part of a match of set of some kind? I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. Um, like, not my area of expertise by any means. Well, anyhow. Um, so... so uh, sorry, go on. I was gonna, I was gonna go on to just, like describing what Ishmael's actual classification system is. Well, I, uh, I would but, oh, you, love right, to I'm so sorry. jump in. Yes. Okay, so. Please, no, tell me about uh, the history of science so here. So the thing here is that it's less the history of science, more the philosophy of science, because what this specifically is going on here is Ishmael is not actually disagreeing with Linnaeus on the fundamental statement that whales are of a sort of fundamentally different biology than your average fish. I'm going to use the modern term fish here to mean a, like, ichthyoid or whatever the actual term is for fish. James, don't at me. Um, but uh, the important part here is that he's expressly opposing Linnaean classification in general. Because Linnaean classification is anatomical. It's all about finding physical and structural similarities that allow you to say, this is more like this and less like this on that level. Ishmael is arguing that these categories are fundamentally fake or unuseful, uh, possibly even um, kind of silly, and he's intentionally mocking them by his approach here. Uh, specifically, um, his argument, he uses this phrase, uh, you know, um, in his system of nature, AD 1776, Linnaeus declares, I hereby separate the whales from the fish. But of my own knowledge, I know that down to the year 1850, oh, this must be written after 1850. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, in fact, it might be written in 1850, given presumably this didn't stop happening last year. Uh, sharks and shad, alewives and herring, against Linnaeus's express edict, were still found dividing the possession of the same seas with the Leviathan. Yeah. So he's, he's intentionally equivocating here between the, the idea of separating the whales from the fish purely in terms of a, you know, of a classification system and in terms of their physical living space. But right. it's being done jokily to say that the conception of a classification system like this that is based on these uh, abstract and anatomical qualities is silly. It's fundamentally unnecessary or unrealistic to the actual experience of the entity. And given how much this book is about the experience of the whale as a thing that is right there next to you and is huge and is almost is incomprehensible, is the barrier of your knowledge, uh, I think that on some level he has to argue that the classification systems cannot really grasp whales in order for them to serve the purpose they serve in the book. And so Ishmael becomes an anti-realist, one who thinks that the classifications of science are all well and good, but they don't ultimately find the true nature of reality, which is much more religious, emotional, and uh, whale-ish to Ishmael than the sort of uh, sketches of normal cetology. Um, and this is brought to sort of its, its pinnacle, I would argue, uh, in this particular page by... Um, uh, you know, he then says, so the question is, if whales are a particular kind of fish because they swim in the ocean and can be usefully referred to as a fish, and we talk about the category of thing that swims and lives entirely within the water and is a denizen of the deep, fish applies to all of that. Oh, well, you know, they're fish with uh, lungs and warm blood. And so he's arguing that the ways 
Linnaeus is classifying, the basic foundation of anatomical co uh, comparative biology, basically, uh, though he presumably wouldn't say that since the term biology is relatively recent, um, isn't real. It's not useful, or it's, it fundamentally falls apart in the face of whales, or in the face of, you know, the unknown and the unknowable, the vast ocean. Uh, I don't think it's a accident that uh, the category he specifically is saying cannot be reduced to Linnaean categorizations is fish. Yeah, I think everything you just said is like totally true, but it, it also occurs to me that um, in terms of like uh, perspectives on like what true whale knowledge is, um, that he's sort of opposing to Linnaeus's understanding. Um, like you mentioned this, this almost like transcendent sense of like mm -hmm. whales is something that can't be fully comprehended. Um, and like thinking about like the trying to reach into the depths of the ocean, this very like heightened dramatic sense of it. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a kind of like experiential knowledge of whales of oh, like yeah, yeah, how I to agree. fish them, how to best like acquire their most valuable parts. Um, and he also, I think, considers that in some sense to be like real, true knowledge. Yeah, but it's it's I much agree. more like um, there's there's it, it's less personal like personal and practical. Maybe is what yeah, it is. and and I think it's also part of why you see him expressing this through humor mm -hmm. because it's not just about like the grandness of whales. It's also about the everydayness of whales. Oh. It's about like yeah. the kind of funny, weird people who hunt whales and the way in which a couple of guys in a bar in Nantucket might meaningfully actually know more about this subject than like one Carl of the Linnaeus. most respected scholars. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think you're entirely right. And I, I think ultimately those two things come together um, in Ishmael's highly democratic religiosity. I think that yeah. the, um, the sort of balancing point between biblical unknowability, grandeur, and the Leviathan and the everyday individual person is precisely that sort of sense of um, universal brotherhood and uh, human exercise. And all of this also is going to get super interesting when we start thinking about uh, what it means that uh, Captain Ahab can draw out Leviathan with a hook. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but um... on to types of whales before I just completely explode. Sorry. Right. <laughs> okay, so, right. Uh, the moment of truth. So, Ishmael rejects, like, anatomical Linnaean classification. Fine. What's he substituting in its place? Size. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's size, and it makes the little spouty spout. Yeah, so so he his, his way of, like, dividing different types of whales from each other... Uh, is simply that he's placing them in order from, like, largest to smallest um, and, and dividing it into, like, three subgroups. Um, and he's using, like, uh, publishing terms that refer to the size of a book um, mm -hmm. to, to describe them. So um, there are three books of whales. The largest are the folios. Uh, the middle ones are the octavos. And then the smallest are the duodecimos. And within each of these books, there are a number of individual chapters, which are species, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty much. It's it's extremely cute. It's really cute, and also I want to draw back again because um, I think this is another piece of truly great meta humor on Ishmael's part, and also on Melville's. 
because if we're talking about an attempt to write the story and knowledge of whales, or like to, mm-hmm. to uh, categorize them in a useful way, both the Bible and Moby Dick are books. Yeah. Like, um, are you, sur- like are you sort of saying... saying is that he's saying that the correct way to collect together knowledge of a whale is the book. That the, the cate- He's just trashed Linnaeus, and his response is to fill books with whales, which is also what he has done by writing this book. Mm, I see what you're saying, yeah. Um, and on some level, that also kind of suggests that he understands, like, you know, uh, uh, like, literary experience of whales um, to be... Because, you know, he's saying that, like, the sper- he said earlier that, like, the sperm whale has been discussed scientifically pretty well, mm-hmm. um, but hasn't been talked about, you know, poetically, basically. And, um, and therefore, it's... It, his is an unwritten life. Yep. Um, and also that uh, the sperm whale, scientific or poetic, lives not complete in any literature. Yes. Though more in scientific than in poetic at this time. And he, he's definitely going out of his way to uh, remedy that with this book, which we're now reading, so it worked. He won. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, so he, 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 he goes through the... Uh, types of whales that are familiar to him, uh, you know, in descending order of size, uh, as he understands it. Um, because he, you know, as you might expect, given the clear allegiance he declared earlier, uh, he puts the sperm whale first as the biggest whale. Um, Without a doubt, the largest inhabitant of the globe. Yup, he says that. And it is simply not true. Nope, nope. It's, um, we do get a brief reference to the blue whale later in his list of doubtful or uncertain whales. So, well, there's a couple of reasons. There's a couple things. First mm-hmm. of all, yes, he, he mentions the blue, like, he mentions the actual phrase blue whale toward the end as, like, you know, here's a name of whale that people mention. I don't really know for sure if this exists. Mm-hmm. Um, he also describes a type of whale that, uh, is like now thought to be what is modernly what is known in modern times as the blue whale. Wait, really? Um, the sulfur bo- yeah, the sulfur bottom whale. Oh, is the blue whale. Um, and wow, he had that as chapter six of the folios. Right, and and okay, so it is the case that like blue whales weren't very well understood at his time, right? And that is basically what he says about the sulfur bottom whale mm-hmm. is like you you like swim too deep and no one knows much about you what's funny there um, is i'm pretty sure that the sperm whale actually swims the deepest of whales yeah but but it was certainly the, it was yeah. definitely the case that like um people didn't like have as much contact with blue whales as they did with like sperm whales mm-hmm. at this time yeah um they were less well known mm-hmm. um uh so so it's possible that like the fact that blue whales are bigger than sperm whales on average uh might not have been something that even Melville knew, but um, he also describes uh, fin whales. Um, let's see, what exactly does he call finback? them in the book? Finback whales, yeah. Um, fin whale seems to be the like Modern, sort of common yeah. term today, yeah. Um, and those are also larger than sperm whales, and that is totally something people knew because, like, people <laughs> hunted fin whales and were familiar with them in the same way that they were familiar with sperm whales. Like, 
I don't know. It's entirely possible that, like, I don't have a sense, um, you know, clearly from the way this chapter is written, people did not have as, like, you know, detailed and accurate information on, like, the relative sizes of different species of animals, Mm -hmm. especially of, like, wild animals that are as infrequently and difficultly encountered as whales. So, like, you know, people who are out on a whaling ship encountering a whale might not immediately know what kind it is. Or be Um, able to immediately size it other than, wow, did you see that? It was big! Yes. So, like, it's possible that, like, the idea that the idea that, like, we now basically know, yeah. you know, fin whales are bigger than sperm whales. Like, I think yeah, pretty much like their range is... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they, that might not have been something that was, like, precisely true, but, like, I think we can reasonably assume, just given that, like, I think that was... Like, fin whales were known to science. Sperm whales were known to science. But he needs to put sperm whales first because they're the most important to him and Moby Dick is a sperm yeah, whale. Yeah, they are the one that has to be argued to be Leviathan of the Bible. They have to be the mightiest of beasts upon this earth in order for Moby Dick to be what he is. Now, one solution would just be to say, yeah, Moby Dick's just a weird, super big sperm whale. Who knows? But that that's not the way he went. And I really appreciate that he didn't. It makes this much more fun. Yes. Um, These whale statements, they're so higgledy-piggledy. <laughs> they really, really are. Um, so uh, the the reason that the sperm whale is so valuable and therefore, you know, has, has captured Ishmael's heart um, is that it uh, it is the only whale that has uh, spermaceti, which is like this white, waxy stuff that's in a an organ in their heads. Um, it's not part of their brain. It's like a... I believe it's called the melon, actually. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah. You pierced me melon. And uh, it, it's actually not, like, totally known in the modern day, like, what, what it does. Um, there's, like, a couple theories, I think. Um, Obviously, but... it's their organ for communicating with the sublime infinite. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. They're the tuning for, for, commu- for the voice of God. Sorry. <laughs> and and that organ is full of, like, this waxy white stuff that can be made into candles. Um, and various other is, kinds of oil stuff. Yes, which is why people hunted them. Uh, because this, you know, spermaceti was very valuable and you could get a lot of it out of only this particular type of whale. Mm-hmm. Along with all sorts oh. of other oil that you can get from its blubber, as we will be as will be explained to us in elaborate and gory detail when we get to that point in the book. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different products that come from one whale and the uh, process sperm. is considered. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but uh, it is worth noting um, that... Uh, uh, Ishmael goes into the like history and etymology of spermaceti. It's exactly um, what you think it is. Well, I mean, not quite. Okay. So, like, people, it, it is called spermaceti because people thought that it was whale semen. Um, I believe like, you mean the quickening humor of the Greenland whale. Yes. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I have to wonder how did. 
because it's not as though did did people just find like spermaceti like free floating in the water after they'd killed a whale? I think it's more that um the way a lot of whales used to be acquired is when they washed up and it's very hard to tell whales apart when they're washed up. I mean that makes sense. The thing that I'm like trying to figure out, I guess, is like how you could genuinely make this mistake or whether it was just like a thing cuz Ishmael points out um if you so like for a long time uh sperm whales weren't hunted mm-hmm. it, so you could only get spermaceti like ben said when one like washed up on shore um and so it was like pretty rare and valuable um yeah. and was only used for or probably not only used but ishmael says it was only used for like um like as a salve An or like a medicine and a medicament Right, rather than its uh, contemporaneous common use as, you know, candles mm-hmm. and, and like fuel. oil in general. Yeah, fuel. Um, uh, and, and, you know, Ishmael kind of points out that, like, if you think that it's whale semen, that suggests that it's, like, pretty pretty rare, right? Um, <laughs> certainly, certainly it, you don't get the sense of, like, oh, yeah, you would get gallons and gallons of this out of a dead whale, right? I mean, they're very large. Okay, but, uh, anyway, I don't know. I'm not necessarily trying to say that it's a fantastic argument, but Ishmael does argue that it would increase the sense of spermaceti's rareness, uh, to give people the sense that it was actually semen. Um, uh, he's, he, does... he says a notion so strangely significant of its scarcity. Yes, so, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He's, he's arguing that that makes it sound rarer. Rarer and more precious. <laughs> yeah. Um... It, by the way, like, okay, it's probably obvious that the two of us are having a hard time not being a little bit juvenile about this. Of course! Uh, but the thing is uh, that Ishmael is definitely also a little juvenile about this, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, he's, he's clearly enjoying this, and it shows that he's totally aware of various future chapters in the book. Yeah, yeah, it is worth mentioning. I mean, this is probably kind of obvious from, like, just the general way we're talking about it, but, like... Yeah, spermaceti is like a, a viscous white liquid. Like, you can see why people made the mistake. Yes. Um, and there's an entire chapter later in the book about the glories and joys that Ishmael finds in squeezing sperm with his fellow man. And it's, it's said exactly oh like that, and he knows what it means. It's Yeah, it's basically like an orgy chapter, effectively. Uh, a really, really weirdly chaste one, yeah. Yes. Also a really, like, Christian one. Anyway, um, we're getting really ahead of ourselves. We really are, but it's, it's, maybe it's better than, it's, see, this is the problem with cytology. It's not that it's a bad chapter. It's that it's really hard to stay on track while reading cytology. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so, so, uh, that was the last thing I actually had about sperm whales in my summary. Do we actually have anything more we need to say Not about sperm whales? Not in this section. That's basically all there is about sperm whales in this section. Like, it's mostly just talking about its name. He gives no real anatomical or, like, behavioral description of sperm whales in this section, which is itself kind of important, because he does give significantly more about, like, even the porpoises, which get, like, three sentences each. He's just talking about spermaceti and the etymology in this bit yeah i mean it makes a certain amount of sense because he's going to have a lot to say about sperm whales in general throughout the book very Um, true so he might 
he might have a sense of like, okay, well, I don't need to put that here. Yeah, um, no, I, I think that is in fact precisely the uh, the logic of it. But it also makes the claim to being like a, a scientific description of the categorization ring even yes. more hollow than it already did. If he's like, yes. okay, no, this is just me styling on Linnaeus and uh, I'll tell you about sperm whales another time. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see. Um uh, oh, the next thing, I'm, I'm not going to go into each species of whale that he describes, because uh, they're, you know, that's kind of a unnecessarily granular level yep, of yep. detail, but uh, I we did want to point them. out... I'm oh, sorry? Uh, okay, yeah, sure. I don't... I, I just mean we, we should, them. you know, make sure people know what each of these whales are, even if it's not a an extensive description like we've done with the sperm whale. Yeah, I mean, you know, what What it might be worth doing, because I'm, I'm not actually sure you know this, um, is like letting you know wh- what real species these correspond to. I would appreciate that. Because uh, there's a whole Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, to be clear, uh, it does seem to be like his, his descriptions of whales are, are pretty specific to the point where like I think it is possible to draw a line to like modern understandings of different species of whales Mm -hmm. um so uh yeah so starting with the the folios which is to say the like really big ones um there's sperm whales um and those are still called sperm whales uh right whales um uh which according to wikipedia there's there's multiple species called right whales but uh we continue to use that term today pretty much yep. like i think they're multiple species but they are uh they're like the northern for... right whale the, the southern right whale i've i actually i should mention that my um uh in, at my grandparents place up in maine in the bedroom that uh, has like the bunk beds for the kids in this little cottage on land that they got uh, shortly after world war ii i think or sometime in the 60s or 70s and built a little um yeah, it would have been the 60s or 70s built a little cottage on um, or cabin, really. Uh, there was a poster of every known species of whale and cetacean. And so there was this entire section that was basically identical-looking whales titled Various Varieties of Right Whale. And I could yep, never tell all right. them all apart. Yeah, c- clearly neither could Ishmael. <laughs> yeah, um, in fact, Ishmael explicitly disapproves of telling right whales apart. I- Where's that? I don't remember and, um, that part. Right before the section on the finback, he says, um, some pretend to see a difference between the Greenland whale of the English and the right whale of the Americans, but they precisely agree in all their grand features, nor has there yet been presented a single determinate fact upon which to ground a radical distinction. It is by endless ah, subdivisions yes. based upon the most inconclusive differences that some departments of natural history become so repellingly intricate. And again, this is Ishmael setting his flag against biology, against the expanding categorization and analytical framework of the distinction between species and of understanding species in anatomical terms. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, It is a little bit like, uh, take that, scientists. (laughs) If right whales Uh, evolve... No, no, I'm not going to. Okay, so uh, there's a finback whale, uh, humpback whale. Uh, those those are both we still call them that today. Um, uh, then he mentions razorback whales, um, which uh, Wikipedia thinks is is actually probably just also the modern finback whale. Um, 
like he's 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 despite uh, his, his railing against unnecessary divisions within functionally equivalent types of whales, he does seem to be listing one what is now understood as one species of whale as, as two separate entries in his list. He does he does say that this is this whale is eludes both hunters and philosophers. Uh, let him go. I know little more of him, nor does anybody else. Like, as far as I can tell, this whale is included to fill out the category and to, uh, you know, basically insist on the unknowability or uncertainty of whales. Yeah, but I do think it's interesting that, like, you know, um, he would hear of a type of whale that, um, you know, that he knows he hasn't really seen very much and that in description is pretty similar to the finback mm-hmm. uh but he but he includes it as a separate one i guess presumably because he's like heard from other whalers whose perspective he trusts that they are different that seems likely um he also says i have seen seen him at a distance off cape horn so what i imagine we're supposed to imagine of ishmael is that uh another whaler pointed it out to him and said uh that there's a razorback whale and uh yeah he believed it Actually, yeah. I do want to go back to the Finback entry very briefly, because it contains more of this, this uh, ongoing war with Linnaeanism. Uh, with, go on. Uh, specifically, um, he argues that uh, the appellative of whalebone whales, the category of whale, ah, but, yes. what we now call baleen whales, it is a category we use in modern science. Um, he argues that it's uh, fundamentally impossible to divide whales in a useful way by anatomical specificity. Um, basically, um, he says... Uh, that um, after describing this leviathan, uh, the finback whale, as um, the um, banished and unconquerable cane of his race, bearing for his mark that style upon his back, uh, because he perceives finbacks as um, not gregarious, as avoiding groups of other whales, not traveling in pods, presumably, and therefore... A, he describes it as a whale hater, like some men are man haters, uh, a, a misanthropic or misetatiathropic. I that went poorly. Misetatropic. I don't. No, the the throp is also. Damn it. Stop that. Okay. Stop okay, doing okay. this. <laughs> um, but the um. He goes straight to there and says, From having the baleen in his mouth, the finback is sometimes included with the right whale among a theoretic species denominated whalebone whales. And he goes on to argue about why you can't actually subdivide whales, not only by whether or not they have baleen, which again is a modern understanding of how you can divide whales, but rather he argues that every specific anatomical anatomical difference between whales that you might construct a category around is confounded, um, almost like it's a carefully arranged puzzle that cannot be solved, where, for example, if you divide them among baleen whales, but, oh look, both the sperm whale and the humpback whale have humps, which are just as important an anatomical element as the baleen. So suddenly the humpback whale, which is a baleen whale, has to be categorized with a sperm whale, but that breaks the baleen dis- distinction. And so he goes on noting these different gross features of the whale's uh, anatomy that can't be neatly divided into sections, and then argues that the insides of whales are so incredibly complex and weird, as he knows from having dug through them as a job, you can't actually make distinctions there either. The whale. Whales cannot be anatomically separated into smaller divisions other than by their sheer size. And again, this is a direct argument against the practice of Linnaean classification by anatomy. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's true. He 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 really um, uh, throws out the idea that you could meaningfully classify whales based on their anatomy. Um, I also think it's kind of interesting that uh, when he's talking about, like, okay, these are what people call whalebone whales. Um, he says that, you know, people call finbacks those. Um, and, and he, like, lists a number of other types of whales that people consider to be whalebone whales. Uh, but they're types of whales that he doesn't include in his list. Oh, I think these are, um... Like, like, rod-nosed whales and beaked whales, pike-headed whales. Like, he, he doesn't go into those. Yeah. I mean, he says he says that these are the fishermen's names for a few sorts. So he's he's not acknowledging these as necessarily, like, actually definitely distinct types. Yeah, and they, they also um, seem to be, like, categories. And sort of the point here is that there's other way. Basically, he's arguing that because there's other ways you could split these divisions then maybe whalebone mm. is just as arbitrary as any of those, uh, whereas his own sort of intentionally goofy bibliographical style actually grasps at the important quality of whales, which is that they're very, very large. They're big. Yes. They're big. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, his, uh, that's his position on that. Um... And and he does he does seem to, you know he he, he isn't just saying like I, I can't do it so it's impossible. Um, he he also claims that like no one else has been able to like make a functional system based on this. Um, on this rock, I, I think... every one of the whale naturalists has split. Exactly. Um, which come to think of it, the way I initially interpreted that is like every whale naturalist has split from every other one. None of them agree with each other, which is probably true. Um, but he also means, like, all of them have run aground. They're all I, I think it's an intentional pun. I think it's a really fun one. Like, yeah, no, definitely. Frankly, this is, like, a denser degree of um, punning and, like, clever wordplay and equivocation than we've seen since, like, the first chapter. He really... Ishmael goes ham in his fight with Carl Linnaeus. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so let's see, I was, I was, uh, I was going through the actual list of whales and like corresponding. Yes, I believe we were on ones. the sulfur bottom. Yeah, so the sulfur bottom whale, uh, is, is the modern blue whale. Um, and, and he also, much like how he talks about the razorback, um, it's clear that he, you know, doesn't know much of him. Yes, um, he does have the wonderful little sentence, prodigies are told of him. Yeah, uh, I mean... I, it is kind of funny, um, like, I, I do think that the kind of, um, like, mythic position that Ishmael wants sperm whales to occupy as the largest creature that exists, mm -hmm. like, blue whales actually do occupy that place in my mind, because, like, I, I know that they are the largest living creature. Yeah. Um, and I've known that since I was a child, when I was <laughs> terrified by the skeleton of one, um... Uh, faithful readers, check back to episode one or two, I can't remember, to learn more about Tilly's childhood fear of a very large whale. I would hope people are going through this in order. Um, but I don't know. I guess if you did want to just listen to one episode without following the rest of the book, this one... Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> that's 
<laughs> this one's not narratively connected to anything, but actually, I take oh, back what God, I was no, about to don't say. Do that. This would make don't. no sense on its own. <laughs> okay. It barely makes um, sense in order. I mean, I mean the chapter as well as the episode. <laughs> yes. But anyways, I, I uh, just yes. mostly wanted to make a, a dumb Marvel Comics joke. I just couldn't remember uh, but, the specific phrase. But the uh, the specific thing he says about um, about you know uh, he he says um, about sulfur bottom or blue whales, I can say nothing more that is true of ye, nor can the oldest Nantucketer. So he's basically saying you know these are unknown to the greatest experts as I reckon them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all the folios. And then the next one is octavos, or, like, middle-sized whales. He also um, has a little argument about why they're called octavos rather than quartos. Uh, because oh, yeah. quartos would be the next smallest, like, bookbinding size of the era, but um, the quarto has a, apparently had, at the time, different dimensions. Uh, not It's not just, like, if you shrunk a book, you get a quarto. If you shrunk a book, eventually you get an octavo. And his argument is that because the smaller size of whales... Have in are in form basically the same like um, dimensions as the larger whales just shrunk. They're more accurately described as octavos, which is such a finicky thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 extremely Ishmael. Um, so uh, the 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 octavos are uh, the Grampus. The Grampus, uh, which is which is the orca. Was the Grampus um, there? Wait, is the Grampus the orca? I thought the killer was the orca. Well, he mentions orcas three times. What? What? <laughs> well, you knew that this wasn't like no, I just, good I'm, whale science. I have ben. been poleaxed. I'm I'm extremely impressed, honestly. I I I have been got by Ishmael. Okay. Um, so Grampus. Um uh, then he mentions the blackfish whale, um, which is uh, the probably both of the species that are today known as the pilot whale. Um, the narwhale, uh, which that's an easy one to tell apart from others. Um, and uh, there, there was then the, the narwhale. He's um, you know he's very interested in the the horn or tusk of the narwhal. Um, also, oddly prejudiced against the left-handed. Like, it just comes yeah. out here. I mean, I'm not hugely surprised, but... Uh, he describes that because the um, narwhal's horn only emerges on the, quote, sinister side on the left, it has an ill effect, giving its owner something analogous to the aspect of a clumsy left-handed man. It's just like, Ishmael, why? I mean... Long tradition. Know. Yeah, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, so then the, the last two in this list, uh, the killer whale and the thrasher whale, are also probably both orcas. Uh, yeah, yeah. Both are outlaws, even in the lawless seas, according to Ishmael. Yeah. Um, I believe there was also a bit about the narwhal you mentioned wanting to bring up. Uh Oh, gosh, right. <laughs> yes, there's one little bit about the narwhal that I think is uh, very cute. Um, and extremely Ishmael, um, which is that, uh, you know, he's talking about what people think the tusk is for, um, and, uh, 
there doesn't, you know, there's not really agreement on it. Uh, and he says that his opinion is that uh, whatever it's actually for, uh, it would be very convenient to use to turn papers over while you're reading them. Um, which is just such a, like, I, I mean, you know, this almost like, okay, I wanted to mention this just because I think it's funny, um, but I also am realizing as I'm talking about it now that this is kind of a lot like the stuff you've been pointing out, where he's like, really clearly making, like, making a statement that uh, the things that, like, zoologists are interested in, questions they're interested in asking about whales are, like, the wrong ones. Yeah. Um, like, because he is just not concerned with uh, however the narwhal actually uses its horn in the wild. Um, yeah, no. That just does not matter to him. He, he makes fun of that entire, uh, that entire question. Huh. I, and to be fair, I don't think it's that he, like, uh, doesn't... You know, um, I I don't think that he's rejecting the idea that like that knowledge like exists. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, I think he does believe that narwhals use their tusks for something, and that it probably would be possible to find out at some point. I agree. Yeah. Um, no, I I don't think that he's saying that like that kind of knowledge is meaningless, but that it's not the grounds for categorization or really understanding a thing. Yeah, and, and like, I think basically the big, the, 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 the major thing, I think, is that um, because there's so much, like, disagreement on this point, I think it kind of, like, suggests to him that people who are trying to argue about this don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah, I, th- I think that's reasonable. Hmm. I will also say he has a great line in the killer whale description, one of the three killer whale descriptions, but the one that's called killer, uh, which is specifically, exception might be taken to the name bestowed upon this whale on the ground of its indistinctness, for we are all killers on land and on sea, Bonapartes and sharks included. Yeah. Just Uh, a very Ishmael moment. It is. Uh, it is also kind of funny that he's like, um, yeah, maybe this name is sort of unspecific about the one that he mentioned three times. <laughs> at like, also, he mentions it as the first chapter of the octavo book of Wales, and also the fourth and fifth chapters, which implies that either they, I just his size categorization is clearly not working out so great. Yeah, I mean, he also does say under killer. Um, from what I have seen of him at a distance, I should say that he was about the bigness of a grampus. So, so I think, I think that, um, that, at least in the octavos, there's not that much difference in their sizes. Yeah, I just, he made such a big deal about the size categorization thing, and, and he's fucking around, and I don't like it. I mean, no, I actually I mean, love okay. this. I love this a lot. It's super fun. I'm, I'm First being of all, yes, complaining. that's true. I'm being whiny. But second of all, second of all, though, um, I mean, to be fair to him, if it is in fact the case that like all the mid-sized whales are kind of about the same size as each other, or like roughly in the same range, mm. um, like what is he supposed to do? He has to put one of them before the other ones. Or he could admit his system is also bad. <laughs> well, that's not happening. It's not. Uh uh, and then, uh, finally, the, the duodecimo whales, which are the smallest ones. Um, they're all uh, porpoises. The, 
Which yes. it's very good. It's it's glad that he had this. Otherwise, this entire chapter would have had no porpoise. Uh, oh God. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> okay, All I'll right, take so, over. Uh, no. <laughs> so, so the first one is the the Huzzah porpoise. Yeah. Um, uh, which is called that because you get excited when Yay. you see them. Yeah. Um, uh, because they're lucky. And this is this is uh, the the bottlenose dolphin, um, as we currently call it. Um, uh, and then the Algerine porpoise, which. Uh, this one seems to be uh, Wikipedia isn't as certain on this one as on others. I mean, I think he doesn't describe. He just this says it's one bigger than a bottlenose, basically. Yeah, so like it's hard to know which one he's referring to because there's not a lot of description. Um, but it, the options thrown out are possibly a pygmy killer whale or the false killer whale. Huh. So, he describes it as a couple of. Um, much the same make as the Huzzah porpoise, so I find that very hard to believe. Well, I mean, the, um... The... I'm, I'm looking at pictures of these whales. Nice, uh, nice. They, they they do look relatively, like, similar to a bottlenose dolphin. Oh, okay, like, so... Like, not they, the same, but... They look pretty porpoiseful. God! <laughs> Sorry, sorry, okay, I just saw I'll... the... I, I promise I didn't plan any of these. I, I just saw the opportunities and I took them. It's just a fluke that there's so many in this chapter. Oh my god! Okay, so... Then the last one's the mealy mouth porpoise. <laughs> like me! Uh, <laughs> which is the southern right whale dolphin. And it's called that... He also calls it the right whale porpoise because it is often around right whales. Uh, so, yeah, those are, those are all the whales. Um, and then he, he lists a bunch of, um, you know, names, uh, that he's just saying, like, these are types of whales I've heard of, but I don't have enough experience of them to say that these are definitely real whales or, like, separate kinds of whales. There's some fun ones in there. The cannon whale. The, uh, the yep. junk whale, which I'm just like, oh. Poor whale. It's not trash, but I assume they mean the kind of boat. Oh, yeah, probably. Yep. There's also the blue whale, as, as previously noted. Uh, the mm-hmm. pudding-headed whale, which I assume is just kind of dumb. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, that's, that's pretty much the end of, of everything he's actually got to say on this subject. Yep. Other than to say that... Uh, um, that, uh, it's, in some ways, it shows that he has great ambition that he was unable to finish this, uh, this categorization of whales, for small erections may be finished by their first architects, grand ones, true ones, ever leave the copestone to posterity. God keep me from ever completing anything. It's just like, oh, what a mood. Ugh, <laughs> oh, I don't like it. Yeah, I also like, um, the next two sentences after that. This whole book is but a draft, nay, but the draft of a draft. Oh, time, strength, cash, and patience. And like... Oh man, I could use... I also want those things. I mean, I feel like we've got too many of one of them right now, but just none of the others. Yeah. Anyways, before this gets existential... I'm not sure I would say... 
I'm not sure I would say I have a lot of time. Like, I get what you're saying, um, that, like, we're in quarantine, we've got a lot of time on our hands. Oh, yeah, but, I'm not uh, saying it gets used. Yeah. Anyways, moving on before this gets too real, um, <laughs> I did want to point something out, which is that uh, for all that he has these, like, interesting discussions of all these, and, like, his, his discussion of the Huzzah Porpoise is really charming, and, you know, uh, their appearance is generally hailed with delight by the Mariner. They're full of fine spirits. They're so much fun. Uh, also, they're good eating, and their oil is very useful in delicate clockwork. There's this, um, you know, to a modern audience, a little bit shocking, but I'm sure at the time this would have been much more reasonable. There's this immediate sense of, oh yeah, these are also commercial commodities. These are things you hunt and you process into a variety of useful objects. Yeah, it's it, that is pretty, that is kind of a, a constant throughout this, is like, for, for most of the whales that he mentions, he says something about, like, what kind of oil can you get out of them? And how much? Uh, and like, on some level, you know, are they worth hunting, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, or whether they can be hunted. Uh, for the right. Algerine porpoise, um, which he describes as a pirate, and that uh, if you provoke him, he will buckle to a shark, which is just such a, that's a really great little metaphor. And also, like, porpoises will beat up sharks, so that's awesome. Um, But uh, he also says that he's lowered for the Algerine porpoise many times, but he's never actually uh, seen someone catch one. Yeah. Well, um... Uh, I I am, uh, I I think we have, we have, uh covered cytology yeah i i believe we have we've made it through um i gotta admit i was a little nervous about this episode overall because like it's a very weird chapter and it's only this chapter because it's so long (laughs) but uh i uh I'm, I'm glad we did it this way. Yeah, no, I I think there's a lot here. I mean, I obviously have my particular bugbear about... Uh, Ishmael's bugbear about the uh, Linnaean classification system. Um, and I think it's really interesting in terms of, you know, the the engagement with epistemology, one might say, or the sort of the, the theories of knowledge that this book is so invested in, but so... Uh, so quiet about in some ways or not quite he's yammering on about it here but he's never outright stating i think categorization fundamentally doesn't work and i'm going to use whales as a a lever to break it open he just argues that whale categorization is incorrectly done yeah that's true uh so i should um i should mention that the next episode uh will be covering uh, the next three chapters, uh, so that's 33, 34, and 35. Um, and uh, this this will be, you know, a return to, like, narrative <laughs> events on the Pequod. <laughs> it will be a return to your previously scheduled actual story. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to being a novel. <laughs> I mean, um, it, it does, and then a few chapters after that, it becomes a uh, a play, like a stage play. For a while, yeah. Uh, but between uh, now and then, uh, we're going to see both. I think chapter. No, no, that's after it. Never mind. But there is one of my favorite chapters in the book, and one that I'll insist on getting to read some very important lines from, is chapter thirty-six, the quarter deck, which will be therefore two episodes away. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. Um, and next time. Yeah. All right. And remember, porpoises are good eating.
Don't eat porpoises. They're they're charming. I mean, they're assholes, but they're charming. Also, I mean, they're they're endangered. Yeah, mo- many of them are, but I thought that was a bit grim. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, uh, gosh, wouldn't want our Moby Dick podcast to get grim. True, but there's a certain kind. Look, there, there's uh, I'm not remember, there's a there's a kind of sadness which soars and a, a a wisdom that is woe and all that and things that we haven't actually gotten to, so I can't remember the phrasing of. But there's some kinds of sadness that are fun, and there's some kind of sadness that are just like, oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah, fair enough. Anyways, don't eat whales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do, don't don't do that. Um, all right. Well, if you eat an entire uh, whale, tell me because that's really impressive. Wait, we almost forgot to tell people where to find us on Twitter. Um, I'm glad I just uh, kept bullshitting then. Yeah, uh, my Twitter account is at Char Asnablunt, uh, like the Gundam character, but with blunt at the end. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Uh, my Twitter is Silk and Stone, like the fabric and the geological substance. Um, and I mostly use it for chattering and stuff. It's it's fine. It's a fine Twitter, I think. All right. Uh, See you next time. Bye.